Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to EEN Moms Talk. We are going to explore how we are called to care for God's creation, what that looks like for modern moms, and how we can make better choices to protect our kids from environmental harms. Now on to today's episode. This is Tina Wilkinson. This is Tina Wilkinson. Hello. Tina Wilkinson. Can you hear me? Now I can hear you. So sorry. Yeah. No, it, trust me. Not your fault. My fault. Um, I am going to give us five seconds of silence, and then I'm going to start over, and then I'll just edit it out, okay? Okay. So here we go. Good day, everyone, and welcome to EEM Mom Talks. I am very uh, excited to have a friend of mine join us. She is an amazing woman, so let me read her background, and then we will get into the conversation. Tina Wilkinson is chairperson of Solarized Dunwoody, an earth keeper in the United Methodist Church, and a member of the board of directors of Georgia Interfaith Power and Light. She was chosen as the City of Dunwoody Sustainability Hero for 2015 in recognition for her environmental activism in the Dunwoody community. She founded the Organic Garden Program at Vanderlyn Elementary and the Creation Care Team at Dunwoody UMC. Children, Ben and Anna, who are students at Dunwoody High School and is married to Scott Wilkinson. Before leaving the workplace to stay at home with her children, she worked for over 10 years at Wachovia Bank in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and Atlanta, Georgia, in their corporate banking unit. Welcome, Tina. (laughs) Thank you very much, Beth. Good to be here. I am really excited to have this conversation today because I think you are going to show us um, how being at home can lead to a lot of leadership in the community. And so um, let's start with, like, because we'll just start back to where it all began, right? Because you don't just start with a solarized Dunwoody, right? You, you, you do <laughs> That's right. Smaller projects. So tell us about how you uh, did the organic garden at the elementary school. Yes, well, that was at Vanderland Elementary. It's a public school in the DeKalb County system. And I was really fortunate to work with a strong principal named Noel Maloof. And um, one of his goals was to have more hands-on learning opportunities. 
And so when I understood that, one thing that I suggested along with some other parents was an organic garden. And he was very supportive. He said, that's a great idea. And we were fortunate our PTA um, is well-funded. And so the PTA made the first investment. And we worked with Farmer D so that it was organic. And then I spent the next four years developing a gardening program that supported the existing curriculum. So what we did, we tried to incorporate the garden into the school day. It wasn't an after-school garden club. Um, if you do that, then you have to have a teacher sponsor, which turns out to be harder than it sounds. So as, as my children went through different grades and they had different lessons, as I saw opportunities to pull the garden in, you know, that's what I tried to do. And so by the end of the four years, I was able to pull in pre-K through fifth grade. And the only grade I skipped was first grade. So we, we had about 800 students having at least one activity in the garden every year. So it was a lot of fun. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. And do you feel like, because a lot of times I hear about these gardens and there's a lot of momentum the first year and not so much momentum the next year, maybe by the third year, <laughs> it sort of, you know, sort of, t um, you did it for four years and did you feel like you left good leadership in, in place after you left? Yes, but it was a huge concern because longevity is the biggest problem. It is a lot of work and it's a lot of planning. And um, the first year I was gone, I had, um, I had had someone working with me and so she was there and she kept the program grow going and then the next year you know she graduated and she had to cultivate more people to help and I think there was a year or two where the garden kind of languished mm -hmm. um, and then what happened the school decided to pursue STEM certification you know science technology engineering and math and the garden became a pillar of that certification process so it became critical to, um, you know, this whole process and what the school was trying to accomplish. And so when that happened, um, two teachers who had been trying to do something in the garden but didn't have a lot of time, they really stepped up and brought their classes in and created a program. And it was funny, one of the things that helped the garden the most was to have the beds in a location where the, all the students passed them almost every day. So they need to be in a really visible spot so the students can see the change and the growth. And that's what these teachers did. They made sure there was something in the beds the students could see so they would ask questions about it and just natural curiosity. So I'm very well, happy that the garden has survived me. Yes, well, and, and that is very, very good and wise advice that people should hear um, because I know that I've been to a couple of school gardens and they're not just off the beaten path. They're in a corner that children probably never go to at all. So right. um, that's a very, so all right. So all you mamas out there, if you're going to do a school garden, put it someplace visible. So there's a reminder, right? And it also, I, I think, you know, if it gets a little scraggly, which sometimes they can, it's a good reminder for um, people to take care of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And another thing that we learned, um, when I thought of gardening, I thought of the traditional summer vegetables. So tomatoes, okra, peppers, you know, cucumbers, things that love it really hot. And what I found out with school gardening is that you really need the mirror image, or at least in my school's case, 
we do not have a very large summer school program. So there's really hardly anybody in the building all summer long that, that's available to pick these kind of vegetables that really have to be picked three times a week, you know, when it's really producing. And so um, we tried to set up a parent schedule where the parents would go and take care of the garden, but nobody was really around very much. And so we finally came up with the idea of planting sweet potatoes. And you grow the starch yourself. Um, they're called slips, but it's really economical because you can just buy organic sweet potatoes, like at Whole Foods. And then you, you put those in water and you, they sprout and you take care of the sprouts, but ultimately you put them in the ground probably the last week of school. And they need probably daily watering for the first week to 10 days. And then after that, they like it hot and dry. So it works really well in the Georgia climate. And they, don't, they take 100 days to gestate. So you don't pick anything over the summer. We would just set up um, soaker hoses on a timer and we would water once or twice a week, which really was more than was needed, but we were being cautious. And then school starts the second week in August here. And the potatoes, the sweet potatoes are generally ready the second week of September. So it gives, in the beginning of the school year in August, gives the teachers time to get used to who their students are and get their lessons plans underway. And then by the second week of September, it's a good time to take the students out to actually complete the harvest. Perfect. I mean, that really mm -hmm. is, that's, that's, all right, that is worth the whole interview, and we haven't even gotten to the fun part yet, but I'm like, <laughs> all right, wrap it up. There you go, ladies. Good. Um, yeah, so that's really, I'm so glad we started with that, because um, we've talked to a couple people about doing kitchen gardens at home and, you know, that kind of thing, but, I mean, that's one of the challenges with the school garden is, you know, the, that summer vacation period and not losing it, and, and then y'all have it solved. And, like, who doesn't like soup potato fries? Come on, we're down south. So, Right. Well, you know, what, well, exactly. And what we did with the sweet potatoes, we tied them to history. So the students in fourth grade study uh, native people, native crops, and the Columbian Exchange, and sweet potatoes are all a part of that. So it ties in really well to the curriculum. And we just had so much better luck growing cold-weather vegetables which we can grow almost year-round. We can almost keep something in the garden the entire year, if you do it correctly, um, or the entire school year. And that made so much more sense for us. Yeah, that, that makes, yeah. Well, and, mm -hmm. and once again, you know, the school garden is part of the curriculum, right? You tie it in, and they understand yes. the history, and that is, that is brilliant. So off you went from the school garden, and then... So tell us, did the creation care, did it start with the school garden or was it sort of there but nothing? Tell us how you got into whole, this whole idea of creation care. Um, that was separate from the garden because that was really a church. Well, and it kind of ties to the school because at the school, um, Mr. Maloof, our principal, he was very supportive of recycling. And he wanted everyone in the school recycling. And he very deliberately set up, the recycling program so that it would be successful. So like the first year, he just focused on paper. And we're going to recycle paper and cardboard, and we're going to do this correctly. So that's what he did. And then the next year, you know, he added plastic and metal cans. You know, so he was, he was a very deliberate person about how he was getting all these things done. And it worked great. 
and you know to see it in a school with this many children working well is really impressive. And so my church is Dunwoody Methodist, and we have 5,000 members. And it is hard to have recycling in our building just because there's so many people in the building. And then we have people who live in different um, cities and towns or different jurisdictions all around Dunwoody. And so everyone has a slightly different permitted list of recyclables. And so it's something I wanted to do at, you know, at, at church. But um, I wasn't sure if anyone else was interested. And so I kind of just put out the word, anybody who's interested, you know, join me in a creation care team. And so I have about 20 people on the team. And we talked to the senior minister, and he agreed to implement recycling in the offices with the employees because it's a smaller universe of people that we could train more easily. And so we've been doing that. And then we also, um, this creation care team, we try to offer recycling at special events the church has. So if we have a July 4th concert and picnic, there'll be a lot of soda cans there. And so that's our goal to capture those and any plastic bottles, anything like that. And we've had the most success in vacation Bible school, actually. Um, we work with um, the other volunteers who provide the snack, and they stop buying anything styrofoam, um, they don't buy anything unnecessary, no unnecessary products. So like the children are not given a plate for their snack. They're given a napkin, and that's where their snack goes, and it's really efficiently done. And then they try to buy things in bulk and not have a lot of small packages. And so we've tried to make a difference in, in different pockets in the church, you know, where we can have an effect. And I would say VBS has been our best success so far. Well, that's awesome. And um I think you know this. My mother and I wrote a VBS program. Um, yes. Because, you know, we wanted to have sort of a wider input, and one of the things we talk about in the food, like this VBS program is like we've got all the stuff that you want in the VBS program in regards to this is what you do on the day, and here's music, and blah, 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 blah. But we also spent yes. our, I should say, I spent an enormous amount of time writing, you know, five pages on what you need to think about food and waste. Um, and I will congratulate you that you got recycling in your office. We've had three starts now at our church. Um, we are going to have we have a new administrator, so we're going to start over again. But recycling really is a challenge for churches because so much of the responsibility falls on the staff. And if you don't have complete buy-in from the staff with a janitorial crew who understands what's going on, because that's really where the buck stops. Um, recycling yes. can be very difficult in churches. So doing something with Vacation Bible School, I'm, look, I'm like, just make it less bad, right? You know, right. it's only going to be at Vacation Bible School, yay. You know, that's still a big step. And by the way, I'm sure you're like our church where there's 200 kids coming through on Vacation Bible School. Um, right. And Yeah, it's a very right. big group, very big, yes. And, you know, I still have times where I walk by the trash dumpster and it's filled with cardboard boxes that haven't even been broken down. So not only are they in the wrong place, they're taking up a lot of space with just empty air. And, right. you know, the church pays for every dumpster pickup. So it would be, you know, it would be a better, we would be better stewards of our funds if we could minimize that kind of activity. Well, and in all fairness, I will say that sometimes we experience people using our dumpster who are not, right, they're not part of the church. I'm not saying Yes, that's so do we. Yeah, so, but that's one yes. thing, but... So I want to give people a little grace 
in their churches. The first and primary thing you need to be concerned about with your church membership is worship. Um, and sometimes it can be very frustrating to work on creation care. And so I don't want anybody to sacrifice their family's worship experience. Um, but right. there's mm-hmm. a lot of opportunity in churches um, to do creation care things. And I think you've been very um, good about saying, okay, this is what we can do right now, and it's going to work, and we can do it. And, you know, just don't completely stress yourself out, um, as you and I both tend to do. something we're not doing at church. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, you know, that is one thing I learned from Mr. Maloof is that patience is key, and if you try to do too many things at once, very few of them will be done well. And so, you know, just try to focus on a few things at a time. That tends to work much better, especially with such a large audience. Right, right. And I'm sure the elementary school, I mean, and and that was really smart the way he did it, right? We're going to just do paper. We're just going to do paper one way. And, you know, it's funny because I spend a lot of time, quote, unquote, preaching, like just take one step. Just get that in your routine and then pick another one. And yet then I don't give my church that grace. Like, we ought to be doing it all. Right. Do it now. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So the new administrator is good at our church. And so, um, you know, we sat down and had sort of the big blown over kind of meeting. And um, we are going to have one meeting only about recycling. Um, So um, so we're going to, I guess, implement it and not even think about it. So, all right. So you've done creation care. You've worked at the school. Um, What came next? Mm-hmm. Um, I worked with my daughter. She was working on her Girl Scout um, Silver Award. She and another one of my scouts, I have a Girl Scout troop, and um, they worked on really together putting a bird sanctuary into Brook Run Park. There's a lot of birds who already live there, and so this is something the girls thought of they wanted to do, and you know they ordered some special signs to explain you know, about, you know, this particular bird and its habitat. And they installed several birdhouses along the way to kind of make a bird walk. You know, people could go through this nice little walk through the woods and see um, different habitats and then a picture uh, and a description of, of each particular bird that they were featuring. And so that was fun. Well, that is fun. And, and it's it's lovely. And um, I was at a conference this morning and um, the gal we interviewed last week on the podcast, Lindsay Linsky, uh, was talking about how, you know, it's not just good to sort of get outdoors, that we also need to get outdoors more like in nature, you know, per se. So I love mm-hmm. the idea that there's this bird walk available to people in Dunwoody and they can see the birds and learn about the birds because uh, we don't talk about this a lot, but birds are in crisis, right. as, you know, many of our animals are. So. Yes, yes. I mean, it's all related, you know, so when we spray for mosquitoes and we kill other insects and there's nothing for the or some birds, you know, it takes away a lot of their food. And so then the um, number of birds that we have drops precipitously. So it's a very serious issue. I know in France, they are struggling with that issue. And I can't imagine. So I'm in a very fortunate place where I live on a street that the sort of runs down one side of our street and then at the bottom of the street is a beautiful wooded area. And so we have a ton of birds. And so now that spring is, that well, is so, nice. spring is sorty here, right? I wake up and I just hear all the birds and it's just such a gift. 
right? It's such a gift to hear the birds mm-hmm. in the morning. So, yes, beautiful. Um, all right, so we did a bird walk. Then what? Because mm-hmm. we're building up. I just want to tell everyone we're building up because Tina has done something <laughs> amazing. So excited to talk about it. So then what came next? Well, so then um, I decided to apply to be an earth keeper in the United Methodist Church, just like you are, Beth. So I yeah. thought this program would be wonderful to be a part of. And um, let's just be very clear that Tina has succeeded, and I have, I'm have i I'm failing. <laughs> I'm not giving up completely, but I am failing. And partly it's because I've got this new job with EEN, and I'm just loving it so much. So um, just for folks who uh, want to know, Earthkeepers is mm-hmm. an international organization. Um, it's it started, is it two years, like 18 months? 18 anyway, months. Mm-hmm. 18 months ago, um, Tina and I were in the same class. We have a very good mutual friend who said, well, he told me, he said, Beth, find Tina when you get to Earth <laughs> And <laughs> Tina and I have developed a wonderful relationship since. And so basically, Earth Keepers is a way for rank and file United Methodists to um, – basically be a um, feet and hands in the community to care for God's creation. And everyone was allowed to choose their own project. Um, my project yes. was very audacious and ridiculous, um, and that is to get solar on 10 churches in the North Georgia Conference, which is one of the divisions in the United Methodist Church. And Tina, tell us what you picked. <laughs> I picked a program called Solarize Dunwoody. And um, this is a, it was a program I really had been watching for a while, the Solarized concept. So I was on the mailing list for Gipple, Georgia Interfaith Power and Light, and this is before I joined their board. And Gipple was part of a program called Solarize Athens, so very focused on Athens, Georgia. And, you know, it was just something I could watch from a distance because I don't live in Athens. So I had no idea if it would ever be available to where I live. And then, lo and behold, very soon after that, um, Solarized Decatur Decab was launched. And Beth, I know you were on that. You were a part of that coalition. Yeah. You had a lot to do with its success. And so I signed up for Solarized Decatur Decab, and um, we put solar on our home. And so it was a good experience, and I really. There's so many things I liked about the program, and I thought this would be a good program um, to bring to my city. Um, Solarized Decatur Decab technically covered my city, but all of the events were pretty far away. And in Atlanta traffic, you know, 15 miles is about an hour and 15 minutes, and so that's just too far away for people in Dunwoody to attend many of the educational meetings. And so I wanted a program here in Dunwoody focused on solar with local meetings that people could easily attend. And it was made much easier by knowing you, Beth, and having you as a resource since you had just gone through Solarize. Or actually, it was still going on when we were, when we were in our training. So it was right. very, um, very helpful of, of the Earthkeeper program, you know, to introduce us and give me this tremendous resource in you. Well, thank you, and you're very kind. All right, what we're going to do is, because now we've got everybody so excited, what is this solarizing? We're going to take a break, (laughs) and we'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this episode of EEN Moms Talk. 
If you want to engage more with us, you can follow us on Instagram at EENMoms. You can follow us on Twitter at EEN underscore moms. Or you can join our private Facebook group at EEN Moms. Just click to join and we approve you in the group. If you want to download our free Bible study, hop over to creationcare.org and you can download it there. We really believe community is the key to everything, so we hope you will make us part of yours. Now, back to our guest. Okay, so we've whetted everyone's appetite, so let's take a step back and start to unpack what a solarized program is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I know you know this very well, but the way that I understand it best is that it is a program to make it easier and more affordable to implement solar. And um, it can be available to homeowners, businesses, and nonprofits. And it's not a new concept. It, um, it started in Portland, Oregon in 2009 with Solarize Portland. And what happened there was some neighborhood associations, they realized they had a number of residents, different neighborhood associations, each had residents who were interested in implementing solar, but they really didn't know where to start. And so they thought if we work together, at a minimum, we should be able to negotiate a better price. And so that's what they did. You know, they pulled together, they approached a solar installer, and they negotiated a better price than what they could get on their own. And so this is what Solarize programs do. Um, they, they have education in the community that people can attend. They can ask all the questions they want to ask with no sales pressure. And if they're interested, they sign up for a free evaluation. And if their site is viable for solar, they get a proposal. And the pricing in the proposal reflects this group pricing. And the programs are also structured that the more people who sign contracts, that is they commit to buy solar array, the lower the price goes. And so if you sign up early and your price is higher than where the program ends up, you actually get a refund so that everybody in the program pays the same base price. So this is not something you can do on your own. And so it's been very effective in the markets where it's been. Right. And um, so I want to I wanna make this clear because we have um, a national audience. So, and but the key essential way that we have found this to work in Georgia is, is good community volunteers like Tina. So um, you can do this anywhere in the country. You can, um, I will include in the show notes a link to the documentation that's provided by DOE. Um, but one of the real advantages of it besides, look, the first, the, the first true advantage is the pricing. But the second advantage is, is solar still, I mean, even though it's been around, you know, well, it's been around for decades and sort of this last sort of, you know, go into solar has been around for 10 years. It's not like, you know, your Uncle Harry who knows everything about cars when it's time to go car shopping. It's not like your neighbor who just had a renovation done and he can give you, you know, recommendations and everything mm-hmm. like that. There's still a lack of knowledge. Now, that's one of the other benefits, positive benefits from a solarized program, right, is now there's how many neighbors in Dunwoody who have solar who can answer questions? <laughs> 46. 46 neighbors now in Dunwoody that, you know, if you want to do solar in Dunwoody, 
um, you've missed the registration time, but you can go ask your neighbors now what it's like to get solar and what what to expect and those kinds of things. And that's one of the real sort of barriers of entry because there are so many questions. And, you know, unfortunately, like everything else, there's a lot of information, misinformation out there. And, um, you know, it's so funny because we, we always joke that solar is so exciting, but, you know, once it gets up there, it's sort of crickets. So, um, so tell us about the process, right? Tell us about the organizing, about mm-hmm. when y'all started, what you did to organize folks, and, you know, going through until the end, where well, you're almost to the end of the, the, the program now. Yes, we are. We're almost to the end. But in the beginning, um, I, yeah, I picked this, this project for my Earthkeeper project, and once it was approved by um, – the person who founded the program in the United Methodist Church, then I um, I reached out to different people in my community. So people who had a track record of civic involvement and um, people who, you know, they, they like being involved in environmental issues. And so one person I reached out to was a person named Robert Wittenstein. And Robert is a former city councilman. And at the time I reached out to him, he was president of the Dunwoody Homeowners Association. And he is also a member of the board of the Dunwoody Nature Center. So this is someone who's very active in the community and is also very committed to environmental issues. And so I met with him several times. He was very generous with his time. We actually went down to South Face and toured that building together. And that's... um, I guess, Beth, you should probably tell them about South Face <laughs> because it's very unique to Atlanta, I guess. Yes, yeah, so um, they do work throughout the Southeast. But South Face um, actually predates USGBC. It's been around for 40 years and is a nonprofit here in Atlanta that anybody in the country, if you all want to come to Atlanta, I'll be happy to set you up a tour. But basically it's, it's um, a nonprofit that spends time educating um, architects, and builders and contractors on how to build energy-efficient houses. And now they're sort of expanding into what we would call sort of like beyond energy efficiency, which sort of includes solar and, you know, all different other kinds of ways to make your house more sustainable. Yes, exactly. Okay, so Robert and I did these things together, you know, to kind of make sure we were on the same page. And he did agree to join the Solarized Dunwoody Coalition and then I also reached out to a former or a uh, co-Girl Scout leader with me, and his name is Adam Payne. And Adam um, has his Ph.D. in electrical engineering, and he used to work at Ceneva. And Ceneva was a solar panel manufacturing company here in metropolitan Atlanta. And so he had the exact technical expertise that I needed on this team. You know, um, when we started looking at what are the products available and which installers have which products? You know, how do we evaluate those products? And Adam was familiar with all of those, and so he was very helpful. I reached out also to the City of Dunwoody's uh, Sustainability Committee. So our city has this committee. It is made up of volunteers who live in the community. And unfortunately, the committee really doesn't have much power, and they don't have much of a budget either. Um, those are two are probably related, but what this um, what this committee does is that they schedule events in conjunction with the city, such as an electronics recycling event, or a paint recycling event, or hazardous materials. And so they have these certain 
community outreach events to try to teach people, you know, please don't put these in the trash, don't go to a landfill, they need special disposal. And so the sustainability committee, you know, does activities like that. And so, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Are you okay? <coughs> yes. Oh, so they agreed to support this program. And <coughs> one of their members, sorry, I'll have to get a drink. That's all right. It's one of their members. Yes, exactly. But one of their members works for the Environmental Protection Division. His name is Jason Metzger. And so Jason volunteered also to be a part of the coalition. And so with his experience, he has been very helpful. And then I reached out to Gipple, you know, Georgia Interfaith Power and Light, because of my relationship with them and also their track record. They've been in several different solarized programs in the state of Georgia and also Environment Georgia, um, which is a nonprofit secular and is focused, of course, on environmental advocacy. And then there were, um, there's one other company that's very unique to Georgia, and, or I think it is, I mean, it's called Solar Crowdsource. And it's actually a for-profit company that provides the platform for these solarized programs to run. So when you run this program, you have to have a website. That's how people sign up. And you need a social media marketing campaign. So you need a presence on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you know, whatever, whatever um, is effective in your community. And this is what Solar Crowdsource does. And they've been involved in three different solarized programs in the state of Georgia so far. So they were experienced, you know, they could also help evaluate the quality of the products that we were discussing. And just they bring a lot to the table because as volunteers, there's no way I could run a website and keep it up to date. And um, I couldn't keep everybody informed. I couldn't send out an email campaign. Everything that Solar Crowdsource does is really critical to the success of the program. And it's really and then, an administrative mm -hmm. function. Sorry, right? Yes. So like yes. all the stuff may they may not even have the expertise. They provide this sort of administrative stuff that you have to have to make the program run as smoothly as possible. Yes, absolutely. And also, Solar Crowdsource really oversees and leads the competitive bid process that we use to find a solar installer. So in the Solarized Dunwoody program, we partnered with just one solar installer. Some large programs use two installers, but we just wanted one. And we wanted to go through a competitive bid process to identify that installer. And so Solar Crowdsource helped us through that process. And it gave me a lot more confidence um, that we were choosing a vendor you know, that we could rely on that would be a good partner for us. Well, and they also handle the, 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 the RFP process, so the request for proposals. So it's their job to go out to all, right? You as the volunteers don't have to do that. And, exactly, um, and then they and then they they handle the contract, which of course is critical too. And you don't have to be, I mean, you you as volunteers get to review it, but you know you don't have to pay a lawyer to write it because it's part of the fees included in the process. Exactly, exactly, and that's just something that the volunteers we we could not manage that. You know, we couldn't manage that process. Right. Yeah, and then once we chose the installer, and we chose a company called Hannah Solar. 
then that was our coalition. And so all of us on the team, the individuals, you know, the government entity, the two nonprofits and the two for-profits, all working together on this program to reach as many people as possible, you know, many different community events, different formats. Uh, we actually had a float in our 4th of July parade that <laughs> was pretty effective because a lot of people saw it. Um, but, you know, we just had to come up with what would be the most effective in our particular community to reach people. And so that launched, the program launched September 1st, and we had almost 280 people sign up. And so now the sign-up period has closed, um, but we are still accepting contracts from people who are already in the program up until May 31st. So we will know our final results on May 31st. So a couple of things that y'all did very well that we did not. But let me explain also that the areas are very different. We're actually, like we said, ours was called Decatur Decaf um, because we wanted to do surrounding areas around Decatur. Yours was strictly, was it strictly Dunwoody? Did y'all do anything outside of Dunwoody? We went a little bit outside into the neighboring city, which is called Sandy Springs. Okay. So, um, and we'll get to that in a minute because that is a critical part of this process. Yes, um, it is. But the reality of it is, is you know, I love the sort of what I would call guerrilla marketing that y'all did in Solar Rise Sunday, like being part of the parade. And there was some food yes. truck thing, right, every Thursday that y'all went to for a while. Um, yes. In meeting the, people. Yes. Mm-hmm. The spring, summer, and fall, the Dunwoody Homeowners Association sponsors Food Truck Thursday. You know, it's a community event. They want to get everybody out together. There's usually some kind of music. Um, and they allowed us to have a table there for several weeks in a row. So if somebody was interested, they could just drop by and talk to us, you know, five or ten minutes, no sales pressure. And that was pretty effective. We reached a lot of people that way. Right. So I will tell you, we I don't want to say we were lazier, but I guess it feels a little lazier. But um, we did some community events. But for us, what we found really effective in Decatur was, is just leveraging the listers and having these information uh, information um, events. So you know, people people who had solar on their house would open their homes, and people would come in. How, did y'all? Do, well, y'all didn't have as much. We ha, we already had some solar installed in our area. Did you have that? Dunwoody, did y'all do one at your house? We did. We did um, open houses, and they turned out to be one of the most effective things we did. Um, it's interesting because when we would have events, we would have a huge range of questions. But a lot of people really have very basic questions because, again, like you said, the technology is really not new, but it hasn't been affordable. So not many people are familiar with it. So when we would go to a meeting, people would say, what does the panel look like? How big is it? What does it weigh? What color is it? And so I would call it, you know, like touch a truck. We need to bring a panel with us. And when we had an open house at a house where that already had panels in place and maybe they had one or two power walls, um, you know, set up and running, we had more people attend those events than anything else. They really want to see it in action. They want to understand how does it look on their home, you know, on the outside, how does it look inside, how much space does it take up inside. And those events were really successful. We even had one one day, an open house, where it was a little bit drizzling, 
And we were all very concerned that no one was going to come. And it was incredibly busy the entire time. We actually overstayed our welcome, I think, with the homeowner. <laughs> well, you know, rain, it's like, well, we'll be indoors so we can see the panels. Like, you know, I, I get that. So, um, yes. yeah. So, so the other thing is, is um, this is really a community building kind of event. Um, you meet your neighbors, mm-hmm. which is always a good thing. Um, and... So we did, y'all did this sort of outreach, you did the parties, you did informational sessions, and then basically people just popped on the website and gave their information, and then it went to uh, Hannah, which is the solar installer, to do an assessment on the house. Yes, exactly, exactly. And so Hannah would meet with the homeowner, you know, talk through all those questions that are very specific, you know, to that homeowner situation. And then hopefully um, get them comfortable enough that they would want to, you know, sign a contract to accept the proposal and sign a contract. And we did, you did, I say we, you did have, I know we had one indicator. Um, A couple, did you have a couple of meetings at churches too? We did. We had our solar town hall, which was the very first event. And that actually happened at the end of June before we had picked Hannah Solar. And so what happens at that meeting, we ask the community to provide us input in how to choose an installer. And so at that meeting, um, everyone is given three stickers, or they call it a dot survey. And the criteria that we plan to use to evaluate each solar installer who bids on the project, we wrote each one on a piece of paper and put them around the room, and then we asked people to put a dot, a sticker, on their top three priorities. And so just as an example, what, what came out in Dumbledore, the most important thing for this community was pricing, and second was system quality, and I think third was contractor experience. And so we used that feedback from the community not to change the criteria, but to weight it to reflect what the community wanted. And so that, that event was held at Dumbledore Methodist. And that worked out very well. And then once we chose the installer and we were having monthly, we call them workshops, where people can come and listen to how the program works and how the technology works, then we had another event at St. Luke's Presbyterian Church. To, for information. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody decides to take this on in their neighborhood, first of all, Tina and I are resources to help you walk mm-hmm. through it. Um, but also, yes. um, you know, church... Right church is all about community, and quite frankly, um, this is not the case with my church or your church, but, um, you know, if you had a meeting at a large church and only the church members showed up to find out about it, that'd be a win, too. So, Absolutely. You, you know, so, um, you know, church is really a critical part of this community organizing, and, and honestly, that's really exciting that that, that is yes. And one of the greatest things to happen to, for me in Solarized Dunwoody is that we had four faith-based nonprofits sign up. And, you know, I don't know that any of them will, will uh, you know, execute solar in the short term because it's a long-term decision. And you have many, many different factors. But just the fact that they signed up and they expressed interest, I thought was great. And if we can get right. solar on one house of worship, it would be such a tremendous example in the community. 
And I think it would give other, you know, other churches, it would give them more comfort with the concept. If they can, again, if they can touch a truck, if they can go see it and get comfort that it is working as expected, it'll just take a lot of their concerns away. Right. And and there are churches in the metro area that have done solar. Um, mm-hmm. But for any of y'all in Atlanta listening, I'm just telling you, we need we need a big church that is, I, I don't know how to say this, we just need a big church that's in a very populated area where people can do it because the churches that have done it um, are are um, are sm- smaller churches and they're not they're just not readily recognized. So we need a big church, and I could name churches, but I'm going to keep my mouth shut so we don't get in trouble. <laughs> so um, that would be wonderful to have a big church. That, was, that would be great. Right. <laughs> um, but anyway, so Tina and I still need to go to church on Sunday morning, so I'm going to keep my mouth shut. So. So I, the reason I wanted you to tell this story is, is is that we've got a lot of moms with little little ones who are just starting on this journey. And you've given us a path and a model of, like, you don't start with the big solarized, organize everybody in the community and that kind of thing. You know, you start with right. small steps, right? Yes. And then that sort of leads to the next step. And so... You know, it may be holding just a recycling day at, you know, the school. I mean, you know, it may not be a garden or whatever, but, um, you know, it's so important to instill these values in your kids. So I want us to finish up talking a little bit about how how the kids interacted and how, you know, I, I just like, what is what is it like at home when you're having these conversations about caring for God's creation? Well, um, my kids would say it's old news, <laughs> and they're very uh, tired of hearing about it, Mom. So please stop. But um, but they're I mean, my kids. Um, it's very natural to them to recycle because they had it at home, but they also had it reinforced at school, right? So it's mm-hmm. a very natural thing. And so, uh, <laughs> um, and that that was in the elementary school. In the middle school, it's more challenging. You know, it's bigger. Um, it's it's you know it's a different group of people it it was just more challenging but my daughter came home from school one day and she was so upset because her math teacher had put a coca-cola can in the trash and you know my daughter just fell fell out of her chair <laughs> love it and you know the teacher couldn't help it because there wasn't a, a bin close by so we right. we totally understand okay it's not always available and the teacher couldn't leave you know 35 students in the room by themselves to go recycle her can so <laughs> So that was kind of funny. And then um, my son, he's in marching band. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times they get provided with bottled water. And um, it's not easy to recycle. And so he will cram as many of those empty bottles into his saxophone case as he can. And he will bring them home <laughs> so that they can be recycled after a practice or an event. And so that's really funny. And um, they will also, if they take... Like for for lunch, if they take fruit, you know, like a banana that has a peel left over or a clementine that has a peel, they'll bring it home so that we can compost it. They they don't want to put it in the trash at school. And so that's really funny. And then um, they've been very supportive of this. I mean, I have been busy. I have been gone a lot to different events. And, you know, they're older. I'm very lucky. They're teenagers. And so they've taken it in stride. And um, my daughter even rode on the float 
um, with us in the July 4th parade, and that was a lot of fun. And then they've both come to different events, and they have Solarized Dunwoody T-shirts. And <laughs> so they help spread the word that way. And uh, my son, he is a member of the Technology Student Association at Dunwoody High School, the public high school that we have. And so I spoke to that particular group, you know, through my son's connection. And so that was really nice. And so for them, it's just very, it's a very natural thing to do. They don't have to really change their behavior. And so, um, you know, I think they're, they're lucky in that sense. They're luckier, luckier than we are, where we, you know, we grew up a certain way, and then now we have to change our behavior, which is much harder. Right. Um, so I think that's good um, incentive and reinforcement for moms to think about starting when they're little and just yes. make it part of, of what they do. And you don't you don't have to think about it, right? Um, yes. You don't have to justify it. So I love that. That's a that's a great um, insight to to helping little ones. It's just like eating healthy. You know, we're southern in my yes. family, so we didn't really eat. She, my mother tried. I want you to know my mother really tried. It, it didn't work. It backfired. But, um, you know, if you start eating healthy, I mean, like I know people's kids who never have had candy and fruit yes. is the sweetest thing they've ever want and they taste candy and they don't like it because it's too sweet. Oh, how right. I wish that was true for me. But that's not <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so, um, anyway, well, I love it. This, is, this has been great. And I do really want to um, encourage our mamas out there, if you hear about a Solarize program um, in your community, you might want to check it out and just see if this is an option that will work for you. Uh, one of the reasons it's sort of slower in the southeast besides um, we have some challenges with uh, information, uh, but the other, the other thing is, is our electricity is a lot less expensive. So we've we've really had to wait to take advantage of lower solar prices. But the I've, I'm seeing on a daily basis now that solar and wind is dropping so fast that it will be um, actually cheaper than even natural gas. So um, in the next two years, we'll see if that actually happens. But the reality That'd of it great. is, you know, this is this this is a kitchen renovation. But the difference between this and a kitchen renovation is is um, there is a payback period but you start saving the day the panels go up. Um, yes, absolutely. Versus, right, you're not going to see that investment back on your kitchen renovation until you move. And if you if you only do one and you wait to move, then you may may not see it at all. You'll have great joy in your kitchen. But um, there's a lot of, <laughs> I always sort of joke that, you know, if the husband comes home and says, we want solar, the wife's like, not until we do the kitchen. Um, and so I'm going to encourage all these mamas do the do the solar first, and then you can do the kitchen. So you'll see you'll see results. And y'all, let's we can't even talk about that. You know, money is important. So tell us real quickly. I mean, y'all had how long have y'all in the system now? Is it a year yet? No, we've had our um, solar array for eight months, and okay. we have saved just over well between five and six hundred dollars. And we save more in the warm months than we do in the cold months because we heat with natural gas. So we don't use much electricity in the winter anyway. So it's, you know, the, the panels have had less of an effect in the winter, but in the summer when we're cooling with electricity, uh, we see a significant drop in our bill. And so we're hoping that we're going to save about $1,000 a year. Um, you know, so with that, would, that would get our system, we'd have a full return on our system 
I don't know, 10, 11, 12 years. Which that may sound crazy. So this, okay, so two more things we need to be clear about that we forgot to talk about. Mm-hmm. So there is a, a federal tax credit available. Yes. Um, it is It is going to start, is it 2019 it starts stepping down, December 2019? So yes. So right now it's. 30% of the system. So let's, we're going to make do round numbers because I'm from Alabama. I can't do math. So if the <laughs> system is $10,000, um, then you will get a $3,000 tax credit, not a rebate, yeah. credit. And so exactly. um, you have to have the tax appetite, um, but it is a great deal, which is, and it's one of the reasons it makes solar um, really doable uh, right now. So that's that's the first thing. The second thing is, is you're saying, oh, gosh, it's going to take 11 years to pay off. Well, most people, you know, are in their homes much, much longer. And um, think about a car. You know, you get in that car, and that car, Sean actually, Sean Aurora talked about this. The, tr- the car g- brings you great joy, but it's not like it ever appreciates, right? But as we right. become more aware of solar and the benefits of having solar, um, there's two things that happen. One is, is, it is nationally proven now that your house sells faster because people like the fact that they don't have to do it. Like it's already there. I'm like, oh, they got solar. I don't have to think about it. It's already done, you know. So your house can sell faster versus your neighbors if you have solar. And then the second thing is is it actually does give you an appreciation on the house above um, someone who doesn't have solar. So those are, you know, those are some considerations to think about. Um, when you're thinking about solar, um, don't let the 11 years fool you because there's so many other positive financial gains that you get out of it, um, too. Did I miss anything? Yes, exactly. Um, I would okay. just say um, Dunwoody has been very successful selling a whole house battery. Um, Tesla Powerwall is one of those products. And if you if you bought, purchase that as part of your solar array package, um, the entire purchase is eligible for the 30% tax credit and it can function like a backup generator so when the grid is down if you have a battery your solar array continues to produce and you have a little bit of electricity to keep your refrigerator running which is really nice right and I mean, so you could max out the batteries if you wanted to but most people just want one yeah. battery so you don't lose everything in the right in your refrigerator and exactly so, Exactly. Um, Most people want a refrigerator and a few lights. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and, and maybe the DVR on the TV, but it depends on how right. big the TV is. Computer, right. <laughs> <laughs> do not do the 64-inch TV, you know, and try to run the refrigerator. Plus, you're going to have multiple batteries. Right. So, anyway, all right. Well, thank you so much, Tina. This has been wonderful, and I hope we've encouraged people, even if you don't participate in the Solarize program, to know that solar is not scary and it is something that can be implemented in your home right now, and, and, and you should definitely check it out. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Beth. You're welcome. We will see you soon somewhere, and I am going to let you go. Have a great afternoon. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. I, when I talked to Tina, I, she thought I said 15 minutes. And I said, no, 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 this show's 15 minutes. She goes, we can't talk 15 minutes. I'm like, yeah, the two of us talking solar, we can talk 15 minutes. So I hope you've enjoyed this. Um, solar is definitely one of those topics that's definitely sort of a bigger conversation than um, some of the other things we talk about here. But 
it just proves, I think Tina is a wonderful, wonderful model for all of us that, you know, you start small, raise the children with these values. It becomes a lot easier when they get older in regards to they just do it. They don't even think about it anymore. And then you get to do some bigger things like Tina does. And she's really, really helped the community um, in regards to um, making solar more accessible to folks. So um, we really appreciate her time. Um, we, it is Easter. And um, I have, we'll, so we'll see. <laughs> My goal is to get a podcast in. It may be earlier in the week. Um, if we don't, that might happen too. Um, hope everyone has a blessed, blessed uh, Palm Sunday and a happy, happy Easter. And if we don't talk to you then, we'll be right, we'll be back the week after Easter. So um, thank you so much, and we're signing out. Thanks for listening to this episode of EEN Mom Talk. You'll be able to get more information on our website at creationcare.org, and we hope that you will like and subscribe to these podcasts on iTunes or your other favorite podcast player. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.